welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. church I, I really enjoyed the worship this morning getting into some of those songs and it's really good to worship but hey we're going to get into Galatians I mustn't waffle around because uh, um, yes I managed to reduce from about 30 pages down to 12 but I'm going to see how I go in the next 30 minutes and uh, if I go over time Pastor Scott's going to go up and eject me from the auditorium, and you all have a party out there with all those eats and coffee and stuff afterwards. I'm rambling, am I? I'm not low, Janet. I've had my Snickers bar, and I'm fine. So there we go. We're going to pray. I know you've been standing and sitting and standing, but I want us to stand on our feet one more time as we, as we pray this morning. Father, I just pray, Lord, that... Um, you would have control of the uh, message which goes out now. I, I thank you, Lord, that you're in this place. I thank you, Lord, that you are our Father. I thank you that you are concerned about us. And I thank you, Father, that you knew that we would be here today before we were ever born. So, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, you would keep take control. You would have your way. And Lord, when we leave this place, we'll be looking to you and not to a man, but we'll see Jesus. Everybody said, amen. You may take your seats. You know, you, yeah. Uh, I think about church and the way we've been doing church and online church and all the rest of it, but for everybody that's here this morning, this is what I believe. And Scott, you actually referred to it as we are, we are praying. You're not here by choice or by chance, but God knew that you would be here this morning. And I believe that God is speaking and wants to speak to each one of us that's here. So activate your faith if you're a well-worn Christian and realize, hey, I didn't just come along here. Yes, you came along, and maybe you do it routinely, but you're here because God wants you here, and he will say something to you if your ear is open. Amen? So I encourage you with that. This is a message just for us few in this hall. It's not online that I know of. It's just for us. So God's got something to say, has been speaking to us. I pray that he continues to do so. Okay, we're into Galatians, and... Uh, See how we go here. Reasons uh, why Paul wrote Galatians. There is some slides there that's going to help us, and hopefully I can stay with them and not diverge, get off the notes too much. But Paul planted these churches probably around A.D. 49, 50, um, in the province of Galatia, the Gauls that came and populated that place. And he probably wrote this letter um, after his first missionary journey. And there's a number of churches, if you read the story in Acts, uh, that, that he had planted. And he preached the simple gospel message of salvation by grace alone through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished through his death and resurrection. Um, Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works so that no one can boast. There's a bit of reverb on this. Um, you might want to pipe down the reverb a wee bit and maybe cut down the volume. Am I too loud? Because I may start shouting if I get excited. And uh, I can't handle when it's too loud, and I don't want to put you off. Okay, so, so Paul preached a simple message of, of, of salvation by grace alone in Christ Jesus. But then a bunch of legalists came on the scene. I'm at slide three. 
And uh, these churches, they were called Judaizers, Judaizers, people that had seemingly made a profession for Jesus Christ, but then they said, that's not enough. Grace was not enough. You've got to keep some religious rules and regulations from the Old Testament as well. Particularly, you must be circumcised, and you must observe special days and special, special meetings, and if you don't do that, you're not really saved. So, that's, that's what was happening here. It's not enough to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You need something else. You need something more. Saved by grace alone is inadequate. That is what was happening in these churches. So Paul, in his letter um, to the Galatians, he fiercely defends the gospel, the good news, saved by grace alone. And he does so using three lines of attack. And if you've been following through this, you'll probably have picked up this if you've done some study yourself. But in chapter 1 and 2, he uses an argument from personal experience. Then in chapters 3 and 4, he, he gives out this doctrinal defense, and I really like this when you really get into it, because he actually uses the Old Testament law to prove that grace is more than enough. And he showed that the real purpose of the law was like a school teacher which actually led you to Jesus Christ and grace. And then we come to chapter 5 and 6, and that's where we started with Pastor Scott last week. And, and in chapter 5 and 6, Paul now gives a practical application of how we are now to live this Christian life. And it has plenty of application for us today, because we are constantly in danger of reverting back to some form of legalistic Christian living, rules and regulations, how we run church. And so, out throughout church history, we have been adding something more, grace plus joining a certain denomination. I can remember a certain church that we went to, and in that church they preached that, hey, the only way you can really be saved is, yes, make a decision for Jesus Christ, but you need to join this church or else you're not going to get to heaven. Funny enough, God led us to that church. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. I'm not getting off track already. Okay. Grace plus something else. Grace plus communion, and communion is good. Grace plus water baptism. If you don't do this, you're not properly saved. Grace to, in my growing up days, no sport on a Sunday, no television on a Sunday. You can't even buy a newspaper on a Sunday. Can you believe it? I believed it because I knew nothing different. That's the way we were brought up. Grace by itself was not enough. Grace plus keeping the old plus works. Christ's work is not enough. Grace is not enough. We need something more. Why? And hopefully we've got a slide behind me. Why? Why is that? Why if we got saved so wonderfully and so dramatically, why do we keep going back to rules and regulations? Well, the problem is it's the old nature. The flesh, as, the, the, as it says, Sarx in Greek, the flesh always looks for something more, always looks for something to add to grace. Legalism always panders to the flesh, and the old nature wants to feed the ego. And so we get into rules and regulations, and they bring in the decreement. And standards and rules are necessary, but listen to this, but they will never make you spiritual. Did you get that? They will never make you spiritual. Keeping all the rules and all the regulations that, you, that might be imposed on you or that you might set up yourself, it is not an evidence of your spirituality. And when you go down that path and you stay in it long enough, you end up judging people by the standards that you're trying to keep yourself. And you end up feeding the old nature and glorifying the flesh rather than glorifying God. And the danger of that is that you get a reaction when this creeps into the church. And by the way, I've lived long enough to live through some of this stuff, and Janet and I could tell you some stories of what happened in church. Great legalistic 
Christians, when I say legalistic, keeping all the rules, dotting all the T's, doing everything right, typical Pharisees, wonderful people, you couldn't fault them except they were splitting the church in half, listen, because we were using an overhead projector. Some of you don't know what that is. We've moved on a little bit. Stay in your notes, John, please. So you have a reaction to the legalism. And the reaction to legalism is that you're free to do anything. No more rules, no more morals, and you become like the libertines. And in a church situation, that creates conflict between the legalists and the freedom fighters. And you end up as Galatians 5.19, the works of the flesh, dissension, strife, factions, party, spirit, etc. And you end up with a thing what I call spiritual cannibalism. Didn't know I was an artist, did you? I did. I did. That's an original. <laughs> Do prints afterwards. Put it in the faith offering. Okay. <clears throat> Galatians 5.15. Paul says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. That word bite means to wound. The word devour means to bite down or to gulp down. The word destroyed means to be consumed or annihilated. And Paul here is using a word picture. He's describing um, the, the, the half-wild scavenger dogs that would attack each other over scraps of hoods on the locage rubbish dumped outside the city, uh, city walls. And Paul's saying, that you're like these wild bunch of dogs, and if you continue this way, with your swinging from being a libertine freedom fighter to being very stoic in the rules and regulations, if you continue this way, he says, watch out or you will annihilate each other. Spiritual destruction. And so, Galatians 5.24, we need to nail the passions and the desires of the sinful nature to Christ's cross and crucify them there. Okay, you know, when I look at this stuff, I think, how much do I say and how much do I don't? But anyhow, before we really get, get into the, that was halfway through the introduction, so we're all okay? I want to just um, touch on a couple of points that was brought over this past two or three weeks because it's going to help me in what I really believe uh, the Lord wants to say to us this morning. Craig, a few weeks ago, he spoke on adoption. Uh, Bobby followed on and uh, broke that up a little bit more. And adoption, God chose us. He adopted us. We are sons and daughters of God. We are not followers of men. We love Him because He first loved us, 1 John 4, verse 19. And so we obey out of love. We get to obey. We don't have to obey. We're in a place of freedom, freedom to serve. And we are to live as adult sons, not as child slaves placed under a tutor. Galatians 4 verse 7, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. No longer a slave, but a son. And it's Galatians 4 verse 5 that I want to come back to, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Just that phrase, adoption to Sonship, listen to me, and it should be on the screen. We do not enter God's family by adoption. We enter God's family by regeneration. It's called being born again, John 3.3. 3. That word adoption, as it's written in this context, it actually means to place as an adult son. And when I say son, we're talking about daughters as well. But to place as an adult son, it has to do with our position and our standing. So we are not little children, but we are adult sons with privileges of sonship. Children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, yes, but placed as sons of God in His kingdom, family, by adoption, with all the legal rights and privileges of a son. I'm working up to something here. Do you know who you really are in Christ Jesus? 
Because when I read over that and read those verses, do we really know who we are in Christ Jesus? We entered God's family by regeneration, but we are positioned in the family by adoption. We're not under a guardian, but we're positioned with freedom and authority and power, which means we carry the authority of the family name. I'm shouting, sorry. Turn me down if I get too loud, please. Authority to act on behalf of the family, the family of God, the kingdom of God. We've been given authority to use power over the enemy, over the circumstances. Two words, and that's a lesson in itself, but that's for another day. Luke 10 verse 19 says, Jesus gave us authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. Power is that word dunamis. But authority and power. Authority to use power. A policeman wears a uniform, which when every time you see a policeman, we saw a copper out on the road. Oh, is that the right word? Any policeman here this morning? Yes, there is. Oh, we call them the fuzz. Back in Ireland, the fuzz. Or the bill. What part of England you come from? Anyhow, we, we saw we saw this road traffic drop this, this morning. They were doing breathless tests, and the first everybody just went. You saw the truck just slowed down. And I thought, what's wrong with them? I was doing the speed limit. Janet thought I was speeding. We reacted to the uniform because we recognised the authority. It's about time that the church began to realise what authority she carries. Amen? I hope you're with me on this. We live a very trapped sort of life quite often, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm as guilty as anyone else. We need to be reminded of how free we are and the authority that we have because we've been adopted into the family. We have a, we've been positioned in the family. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm going off on a tangent. Sorry. So speak it out. Speak on behalf of the kingdom. Do you know the authority you have in Christ over the enemy? Or do you keep quiet and put up with some stuff? Or have you forgotten that you were free and are free? You see, we are free, but quite often we live in bondage. Because the enemy has deceived us. And when I say the enemy, I'm talking about that whole satanic realm. Some of us don't even believe there is such a thing. But I want to tell you, it's a con constantly attacking us, particularly in the area of the mind. How we forgotten that we have authority. Use that authority. Oh. Scott spoke last week to us on freedom. Thank you for the next slide. I put that up particularly for you. <laughs> I wouldn't dare wear a kilt, but show somebody else. And if it had at the time I was going to take his face, you know, and dub it into it and put it on the top of it. And Anyhow, it was more important to actually do the message. But <clears throat> So he spoke to us last week, and, and, and he was touched on freedom. There is a battle going on for our freedom. And so many Christians, even though they are free, they're still living in slavery because they've been deceived by the enemy and so believe a lie. And what you believe will affect how you do life. That's what you said. It is good. But Paul says, you have been set free. So now from a place of freedom and authority, as sons and heirs of God, go out and love and serve others. Amen? Which brings us to where we are today. It's about time we had the reading, and I'm going to ask Avalon, wherever you are, to come and read to us this morning. clean the spittle off the mic. Good morning, church, again. This morning I'll be reading from uh, Galatians.
Galatians 5, verses 20, 16 to 26 in the uh, New International Version. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, I want to uh, really talk on this whole thing of living in, in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, walk in or live by the Spirit and you shall not gratify the lusts or the desires of the, the old sinful nature, the flesh. Galatians 5.18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Uh, verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. So we need to walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. You know that the Holy Spirit in this, uh, these six chapters is mentioned about 14 times, which tells me the whole topic of the Holy Spirit is vitally important to this whole argument which um, um, Paul is dealing with. Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers us as believers. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that people get saved, that they're born again. It's through the Holy Spirit that the, the sick are healed. It's by the Holy Spirit that demons are cast out. It's by the Holy Spirit that the church receives its organic growth and, and its life. It's the Holy Spirit that drives out the forces of darkness and establishes the kingdom of God. And it's the Holy Spirit that will change our church and our area in which we live and our city and our land and our world. Amen. Not any rational thinking or any gospel grace plus something else but it's going to be by the Holy Spirit, and hopefully this will make more sense as we get into this over the next six or seven hours, but we'll, we'll get there. So moving on quickly, there are two outworkings of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. Uh, number one, that which produces power. And quite often as Pentecostals, that's what people refer to as the gifts of the Spirit in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But then the other is, is that which produces purity, and that has to do with the fruit of the Spirit, and that's really what I want to talk about this morning for a, for a, little, bit of for, for a little while. The one has to do with gifting, the other has to do with, with character. And, and I'm not going to read out this listing, but uh, I've, I, there's a chart up there, hopefully. Yeah, next slide. Gives you a listing of, of the nine gifts of the Spirit that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and the nine fruit of the Spirit. And, I, and let me tell you, it would take a few weeks just to look at that alone and have a really good understanding of it. But that's for another time. Um, Going on to the next slide, the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit and the purpose of the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit focus on the power of Christ 
being displayed through our lives for Him, whereas the fruit of the Spirit focuses on the person of Christ being displayed in our lives for Him. Um, the gifts of the Spirit involves God-given abilities, where the fruit of the Spirit involves one's character. Um, the, the gifts involve what you do for Christ, whereas the fruit involves how you live for Christ. One is to do with power. The other has to do with purity. Gifts, they're given instantaneously. You get them right away. That gift of healing, that gift of tongues, that gift of uh, interpretation or prophecy, yeah, it's given instantaneously right away, whereas character needs to be developed over time by living in the Spirit. Now, that's very, very quick and very, very brief, but hopefully it's helping us. If you want any of these charts, you'll just send an email to dot, dot, grace life, dot, what, whatever it is. And they'll get, pardon? Admin. Admin. Admin dot grace life. Okay, um, so it's not manufactured works, talking about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. It's not manufactured works, but fruit. And fruit grows, not in an instant, but over time. You cannot manufacture the fruit of the Spirit. You cannot squeeze out a peach. It grows, develops, given the right conditions. There's a point there, and that is another lesson, the right conditions. You know, we're trying to grow some veggies at the moment. They're the most miserable-looking things that you ever did see. You know, we've watered them, we've put poop on them, we've done all the stuff that you do with them. Well, I have anyway, and, and watch these little critters go up, and the first strawberry that came up, I think a snail got it. Could have killed it. I'm getting off the notes again, but you get the point. The right conditions. You cannot manufacture it. The fruit of the Spirit, listen, is the natural outcome of the Holy Spirit's indwelling. They are the graces of the Spirit given by Him as He dwells within us. So let's take it a little bit further. Just look at the contrast between fruit of the Spirit and works of the flesh. Uh, Galatians 5.19 talks about the, the works of the flesh or the acts of the flesh. And the word is plural, acts or works, it's plural. Works, manufactured, works, involves effort and labor, results in dead works, to use a biblical phrase, fragmented, unregenerated, incomplete, broken life. There's no Holy Spirit involved there. There's no grace of God involved there. Many think they're actually doing okay by keeping their rules and regulations, but they've never really tasted real life in the Spirit. You end up a self-made person, and that always ends up in being broken in an incomplete life. You can never make yourself acceptable and righteous before a holy God. That's works. But the fruit of the Spirit, it's not fruits, it's fruit. Fruit singular, Galatians 5, 22 and 23 for that fact, the listing again. Fruit. So it, it, it's descriptive of the un, unfolding of life, living fruit. Not fruits, but singular fruit, an integrated whole, the complete redeemed life. The fruit of the Spirit is one and indivisible. Someone put it like this, and it should be on this slide. The fruit of the Spirit is like a diamond which has many facets. All these facets together constitute the gem, but each facet helps reflect the true splendor of the one stone. Wow. God sees great value in you. He wants to make you whole and complete. You are precious and you are beautiful to Him, just like that diamond. He wants to restore His image in you, for we were made in His image. 
And without him, we are incomplete. The spirit side of us has not been born yet. The natural has. We need to be born again. And that involves the nature, Christ's nature being reproduced, his image being restored and imprinted on you. So when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he produces all the different facets of the one integrated whole fruit, the life of Christ in you. And the destructive power of the old flesh life with its passions and desires plus all the forces of evil that would come against you, they are conquered by the greater power of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're allowing yourself to live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. So fruit grows and develops over time and and the fruit is actually the character of Christ being reproduced in you. The Holy Spirit is actually called the Spirit of Christ, Acts 16, verse 7, and Galatians 4, uh, verse 6. So the Holy Spirit will produce the character of Christ in you. The result is other people see Jesus. They don't see some legalistic, super spiritual bud which is so removed from the rest of the No, they see Jesus being reflected through you. Jesus is the light of the world, Ephesians 5 verse 8. You know, it says, once we were in darkness, but now the light of the Spirit has blazed into your life. And it says here, live as children of light, reflecting the light of Christ um, to others. The problem with the world is not the darkness. The problem with the world is there's not enough light. Let your light shine before men. Matthew 5, 16, the light of Christ, the character and the nature of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this next slide, I'm going to flash on it for 10 seconds. Get ready. Get your cameras out, photograph it, or send an email to .com, whatever it was, because we have not got time to break that down, but um, I just wanted to briefly show you the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit and the, the three aspects of it. But I'm not even going to go there because I need to go on. I'm noticing now my clock's not even mentioned on my iPad. Must have plenty of time. That's good. As I said, there is a war going on. This brings us to Galatians 5.17. It says, For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And if you want an elaboration of that, turn over to Romans 7, verse 15 to 25. You can see it there. There's a war going on. There is conflict. There is a fight going on for your freedom. Before you became a Christian, there wasn't really a problem. You were messed up. Yes, we all are without Jesus. But there wasn't really this conflict as it is described here. But when you were born of the Spirit, <laughs> the flesh, the old nature, it rose up and we had conflict. And Paul uses, he uses the, 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 the analogy or the description of, of, of um, Isaac and Ishmael to, to make this point from the law, Galatians 4.29. Talks about Isaac, talks about Ishmael. Isaac was born of the Spirit, it says. But Ishmael was born of the flesh. And before Isaac came along, because Ishmael was born first, as you know, he was born of the flesh. It wasn't really in God's plan. God used it, yes. But, and so Paul describes it as an analogy. In that home, there wasn't a problem until Isaac came. But when Isaac came, there was a conflict. And the end was you had to drive out the one that was not born of the Spirit. Another study. So when you gave your life to Christ, you were born again. Something happened within you. You were born again. It was more than just repeating a prayer. It was more than following a three-step help program on how to give your life to Christ. And all those things are necessary and they are good. But that's not what makes you a Christian. 
When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, it was a miracle. You can't say amen. I haven't lost my marbles. It's true. Something supernatural was involved when you gave your life to Jesus. And just like every baby that comes into this world in the natural, they do not know the ins and outs of how it came about, but they were still born. Look at yourself and pinch yourself. You're evidence of that. But when you popped out of mommy's womb, you didn't know all the, the ABCs. And, uh, you did not know that, did you? But you're still real. Well, I want to tell you, your spiritual birth is just as real even if you do not fully understand it. And if you don't know Jesus here this morning, I want to tell you, forget the religiosity. Oh, gone off my notes. Forget the religiosity. Forget the do's and the do-nots. Forget trying to make yourself respectable and acceptable before a holy God. You will fail every time. And if you get some things right, all you'll do is puff yourself up with arrogance of how proud you are because you're keeping all these rules. Mustn't get too close and spit on you because you might catch something. Ah. Oh. Oh, where am I? So you were born again. And if you don't know Jesus here this morning, I want to tell you, give your life to Jesus. Why should you? Because if you don't, you will go to hell when you die. That's the stuff we sort of ignore today, and we focus on all the problems you have. Your problems you have now is nothing compared to when you die. This is a moment, a whisper, a vapor, the Bible says. But then there is eternity. And just because you choose not to believe it does not mean that it's not real. I want to tell you, it's real. And that's why we need a loving Savior to put His hand on our life. And that's why we need a loving Savior to draw out His hands and die for us on a cross, shed His blood, pay your price, pay the penalty for every wrong that you ever committed and ever will commit so that you could have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus by grace alone. No works, just grace and grace alone because He has done it all. And when you do that, you don't understand it, but you're born again just as like you were in the natural. And the miracle takes place within you. Hallelujah. It's a miracle. The Word of God and the Spirit of God come together, and the seed is planted within you, and you're born again. And then there's conflict. <laughs> the old nature doesn't want to die, and it's in conflict with your spirit, man. There to steal your freedom and to bring you back into bondage. And the devil will trick you to do that by trying to impose rules and regulations on you that you will keep to some way, try and make you more spiritual. And it will never, never work. You cannot simply will to overcome the flesh. You need the Holy Spirit you need to allow Him into your life and to fight your battles. So stop trying to do it by yourself. Realize the authority that you have because of the adoption where you're positioned in the family of God and let the Holy Spirit work through you. Whew. Are we still okay? Okay. Slide 25. Wow. Grace. We have this tendency to go back into legalism. And in church settings, we still have this temptation there all the time. In today's world, we tend to elevate the mind, human wisdom. And it happens in the church. And we'll argue about how to run church services and what the content should be. But really we're pandering to the flesh. Why? Because it's what we like 
what we think, what we enjoy, and what we feel is important. And we have a multiplicity of study guides, and I'm all for study guides. I'm a bit of a logical person. It doesn't sound like it, does it? We've got all these how-to courses, and subconsciously we can rely on the content and the process more than the Holy Spirit. And I'm not having a go at the church. Hear me, I'm trying to make a point of how easy it is to creep back into it. Nowadays, to be a pastor, you need to have a degree. The only degree I have is a BA, born again. And if you want to be a teacher in a Bible college, you even need more qualifications. Point. Yet we have so many Christians today who are messed up, struggling with addictions, lots of emotional issues, and so we end up relying on even more Christian counseling. And when it comes to Leading people to Jesus, we have a tendency to use words like make a commitment to Christ, and that's great. Give your life to Christ. That's great. Follow Jesus and ignore words like born again because modern-day people don't understand that language. Hopefully this morning I've done something to just spell out a little bit what does it mean to be born again. It's a biblical word. And save, you need to be saved. We tend to not use that word because we don't really like to focus on what you need to be saved from. I mentioned that. It's so easy to go back into a form of legalism. I need a... <coughs> How are we doing? I've got a cue, thank you. She's not coming up to remind me. I actually told her to come up to remind me. So I, I know I'm good now for 10 minutes. Is that right? <laughs> I, I grew up in Ireland, you probably noticed. <clears throat> and when I grew up in Ireland, I'm 64 years of age now, and I only look 63, but I'm actually 64. <laughs> 21. I grew up, I grew up in Ireland, and, and uh, in that era when I was growing up, Ireland was still feeling the effects of revival. And so it was, um, we expected stuff to happen. My first encounter with the Holy Spirit, I was about 13, 14 years of age. I was uh, in a meeting in a Pentecostal church in a place called Balamina, which was a center of revival. In fact, the start of the Ulster revival started just outside of Balamina, in a little town called Kells, where Janet's family used to live. And um, anyhow, that was my first encounter. And I can remember even today not understanding all the stuff about the Spirit. I was only young. But having this thing beating in my heart saying, John, you need to, you need to make your way into that room where people were meeting and praying. And as a young, introverted young fellow that did not like to be noticed, and that is my nature, I got out of my seat and I made my way up to the front. Everybody else that had been called in this altar call were in this back back room of this church. It was off by the, the, the stage on my left. And I can remember, I've got to go, and, the, and I look for somebody to go with me, but there was nobody there, and in the end, I just had to go. Something was drawing me. God was leading me. He was touching me. I didn't understand it, but, but I just, just knew that I needed to open up and respond. Didn't even know the words or, or anything, but I made my way to that door, and when I opened that door, the power of the Holy Spirit hit me. It was tangible. It wasn't something you found written in a book. It's not something you can describe that way. Although we do describe what happens, it's something I experienced. I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and it did something to my life, and they carried me out of that place where I was as a drunk young fella, and they took me back to my hometown of Larm. That was my, my first encounter. And we preached, to say we preached, it was normal, go out in the open air, we preached the simple gospel message of faith in Christ alone, in the sufficiency of His death and resurrection, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, the Scripture says. The simple message. 
and people were actually born again and their lives were changed. They were changed. I can remember one man that I met who was illiterate, who was a drunkard, he was a minor, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit taught him how to read from the Bible and he became a well-known Bible teacher. Dead now. Told you I'm old. And every major revival throughout church history had this trait of people being convicted of their sin, of their crying out to Jesus in repentance, and then believing in the gospel message, and they were dramatically saved. They did nothing else. They added nothing. They believed, and the Holy Spirit did the rest, and they were born again. And today the church continues to thrive and grow via people giving their lives to Jesus and being born again. And it will continue to do so until Christ returns, despite COVID and everything else. Because Jesus Christ, the Bible tells me, is coming back for a pure, spotless bride. Hallelujah. He's actually moving on his church at the moment so that we'll be in such a position. You know, COVID-19 has rocked the, the world and the church world. And even here in WA, even though it's better for us, it's still sort of rocked as it's not quite the same struggling with the new norm and the changing goalposts and you know, what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. But I want to say the church has always grown during persecution. Some of you may remember that Romania used to be under communist rule. They took over in 1945 and the church had to go underground and, and a guy by the name of Richard Wombrand, some of you may know him, he was the author of Tortured for Christ, he started the underground church, and so people began to meet in, in uh, li little, little secret places. What's my point? No big meetings, just small groups. Meeting in secret. No worship teams. No lights. No sound system. No Bibles. But the church grew. We used to send Bibles in into uh, Romania, China as well. Communism collapsed in 1989 in Romania, and the country began to open up, and we as a church began to run aid trips and mission trips, mainly in the Brashov area. And we worked with a, a pastor who had spent years in prison He was tortured. He had all of his fingernails had been prized off as they tried to get him to renounce his faith in Jesus Christ. But he remained faithful. And as I say, when communism fell and the country opened up, we began to work with this man. And I can remember preaching for him one Sunday. Six churches on one Sunday. Wow. <laughs> one of those places I had to preach was a wedding. Interesting. Didn't know about it until I arrived. But by the time we got to this one church, I don't know, maybe about two or three hundred people crammed into this small hall. A lot of them had walked a considerable length of time to get there. They'd been waiting for two hours because we were running late because I have a tendency to preach more than 20 minutes. Anyhow, by the time we got there, and I can remember they were there, they were squeezed in. The place was stifling hot and sweaty. And I preached a simple gospel message. And people began to weep all over that congregation. They were hungry for the Word. It was overwhelming. And the Holy Spirit swept 
through that place. I'll always remember it. Doesn't matter what's going on in the world, your world, our world, God is still on the throne. Amen? And when everything is stripped away and you've got nothing else and you've got Him, then you're in a position for God to do something. Yes? Revival. That's what it is. Revival is bringing to life that which is dead. Paul says, why go back into the dead works of legalism? So my prayer is, Lord, send a revival. Rid us of our dead works and bring us back to a life, a life of freedom. We need your Holy Spirit in our lives again. Amen. I'm going to put two slides up very quickly. You need to work this out for yourself because I've never actually tackled, well, how do you live and walk in the Spirit? And I'm just going to read it out very quickly as the slide comes up, number 26. Live. Number one, live under the Holy Spirit's control. Verse 16 says, live by the Spirit. Number two, obey. Obey every leading of the Holy Spirit. Verse 25, walk along the path that the Holy Spirit lays down. And thirdly, know. Know that this will defeat the acts of the works of the sinful nature. Verse 16, 19 to 21. Fourthly, believe. Believe that that will result in Jesus' life being reproduced in you. And the next slide, that's easy enough to say, live, obey, know, believe. But how do you do that? The Holy Spirit does not work in isolation. So He's not just going to boom and it's going to do this. So how do, you, how do you do this? He's going to use five things. He's going to use the Word of God. So read your Bible. Feed your new nature. Which nature are you feeding, by the way? In this struggle, which one are you feeding? If you're feeding your spirit, you're going to conquer, you're going to live it. If you're feeding the old nature by what you watch, by what you do, by what you fill your mind with, guess who's going to win the battle in your life? Result, bondage, slavery. We're meant to live in freedom. Okay, so, 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 he will use the Word, so read your Bible, feed your new nature. And then the Holy Spirit, He will help you to talk to your Father God, so spend time in prayer, talking to God, prayer. Thirdly, intimacy is cultivated through worship. So take time to worship and praise God. Come to a place of that intimacy and openness before God. Fourthly, we are the body of Jesus Christ on earth, so we need fellowship with each other in order to grow. So don't neglect fellowship. Make room for fellowship with us in a little group. Church, make room for fellowship with other Christians. Fifthly, obedience. We've already mentioned this, but obedience. Keep, obedience keeps the door open in your heart so that your, door, your heart remains soft. Obey every prompting of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully that makes sense. That's practical. I would encourage you, get that down, write it down, and just meditate on that so that you know how to live in the Spirit without being legalistic. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.